Welcome to the Indie Pub, a laid-back interview show dedicated to the world of self and indie publishing. I'm your host, Jay Rushing, author of the self-published fantasy noir novel Radio, and a beverage buff with a passion for deep dives and good times. Every two weeks, a guest will step into the pub with a publishing-related topic and a favorite drink for us to explore and enjoy. Whether you want to sharpen your craft, snag a new cocktail recipe, or just have a laugh, there's always a seat and a full glass waiting for you at the Indie Pub. Welcome to the Indie Pub. Today's guest is Lindsey Grant, a NaNoWriMo veteran, author of the memoir Sleeps with Dogs, the upcoming writer's workbook Ready, Set, Memoir, and co-author of Ready, Set, Novel. She's here with us today to discuss NaNoWriMo and its relationship with Indian self-publishing. But before we dive in, tell us a bit about what we're drinking here in the pub today. So I am enjoying a Negroni, nice and bitter, uh, mixed by my husband, who is our resident bartender. Nice. So question, because I always, the Negroni is one of my favorite drinks ever. And I'm always curious because I'm a bit of a pyro. When you make your Negronis, do you do the flamed orange or not? No. No, he's very precise about the the ratio and the type of uh, liquor used. But he was funny. He popped his head in right before he gave, um, gave me my cocktail. And he said, be sure to tell him that we don't have any orange in it or orange rind. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's perfectly fair and perfectly fine. Um, I'm curious, what, what are your go-to ingredients for it? So we use a really nice vermouth. I can't remember the name of it, but it's an Italian vermouth. Um, no, no martini, rusty. Yeah. Uh, and Campari, of course. And then I prefer Bombay Sapphire. I have yeah. heard that some people have beef eater, uh, but we usually use the Bombay. Yeah, I use a, a, why am I forgetting the name? There it is, Punta Mess as my mm-hmm. vermouth. That's that's one of my favorites. And then obviously Campari. And then years and years ago, my wife and I did a gin off where we got oh. a bunch and, and compared them because we thought, you know, we want to know kind of what's our fancy go-to and what our, you know, kind of everyday knockaround was. And good old Gordon's came out on top for the knockaround. Hey. So we felt pretty lucky with that because you can find it anywhere. That's so true. That, yeah. And I'm I'm a big proponent of the flamed orange, mostly because I'm a bit of a pyro and anything yeah. that lets me play with fire and drink is kind of kind of awesome. <laughs> so next time you get a shot, I highly recommend it. All right. Well, I can see that the smoky and the bitter would be really nice together. Uh, it, it's and just the fun, really. Mo- most mostly just the fun. <laughs> Okay, tell us a bit about your background with NaNoWriMo and give us a little bit of history of the program as a whole. Sure. So um, I came to NaNoWriMo as my first job out of grad school, and I almost couldn't believe that it was a real thing. When I interviewed with them, I was kind of expecting it to be um, kind of a a you got punked. Um, (laughs) But I sat down with the founder, Chris Beatty, and the uh, only other hire, Tavia Stewart, who was the managing editor at the time. And uh, when I came on, I was uh, sort of a jack of all trades. I managed the office. I bought the toilet paper. I was the bookkeeper. And I also managed the volunteers that run the local chapters around the world. Um, And they're the people with whom NaNoWriMo participants really have the in-person encounters with. So they're really, really crucial to the program so that it isn't just an online experience. Um, So, yeah, from 2008 until 2010, I sort of wore all those hats. And then Chris stepped up to uh, executive director to be 
full-time executive director, and I took over as program director of NaNoWriMo from him. Um, and at the time that I came on, NaNoWriMo was still running Script Frenzy, and I don't know if you remember Script Frenzy. I don't. Tell, tell me a little more. Yeah, so it was a NaNoWriMo-esque challenge for people writing screenplays or stage plays. Oh, cool. Okay. And it was awesome. And one of my best friends in the whole wide world ran that program until it ended because basically it needed it needed to be sort of unto itself. It was really hard running both programs because mm-hmm. it was almost like the revolving door of now it's Nano, now it's Script Frenzy. Uh, yeah. And what ended up happening is that um, in addition to the Young Writers Program for NaNoWriMo, uh, I, as program director, launched Camp NaNoWriMo. And so it's all under the same hat of writing a novel in a month, but it expands um, to when it's done and also who's doing it so that there are ample resources for elementary and high school age kids and then also people who don't want to do it during the month of November. Nice. And and Camp Nano is coming up soon, right? In April, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so very soon. It's right around the corner, yeah. April and June. Perfect. Okay, so NaNoWriMo is obviously for everyone, but how do you think it specifically impacted people in the Indian self-publishing world? Yeah, so, you know, I thought about this so much, and actually uh, I spoke with someone else, well, you know, Libby, yeah, uh, a fellow wolf uh, <laughs> <laughs> veteran herself, um, about this, because ultimately, whether it's in self-publishing or indie publishing or even in traditional publishing, the magic of Nano is that it gets people who may not otherwise feel empowered to write, writing. Yeah. And this is the thing that I think is so magical about self-publishing and indie publishing is that it is outside of the sphere of this sort of cloistered, clubby feeling of traditional publishing. And the fact that there is this um, engine, this story yeah. engine of Nano driving all of these people whose stories and voices might not otherwise be heard into this writing realm um, with the resources and with the encouragement to not just write their story, but then to go on, edit it, and get it out there in whatever form they find best. But so many people, as you well know, decide that there's so many options now, whether it's a hybrid self-publishing or it's purely self-publishing, um, so many smaller presses that they can choose from. And it's so incredible that what the net gain really is yeah. more story, more quality, Absolutely. more yeah. voices. Yeah, it, it's incredible to me just how many people I've known who have to have taken part. I'm 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 very good at thinking I might do it in August and then <laughs> and then maybe making like a little bit of a plan in September. And then December rolls around, and I'm like, well, there's next year. Uh, that, that, that's my my skill when it comes to nano. But one day, one day I will do it. <laughs> and be joined by so many other people who so probably, many. honestly, been in the same, the same boat as you. In fact, my one job here in Switzerland, I think I got hired on the strength of nano because she said exactly, the, my, the hiring manager that I ended up working for, she said exactly what you said which is I have been following this event for years when you're going to do it. <laughs> and she wrote graphic novels. I had a, a good friend of mine. I think, I think she made it this year. I think she hit, I want to say 52 or 53, made it just over the line. Nice. nice. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about the cocktail and, and, and let's sure. dive into the, 
the taste and the smell, um, what kind of what notes you get out of it, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, you know, I might be going a little bit on memory here because just today, in terrible timing, I, I have a cold. And oh, no. so <laughs> I can't smell very well. <laughs> but I enjoy this cocktail every single week. Every Friday night, we have pizza night. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very familiar, yeah, with the cocktail. And I love, so my theory is Negronis can veer, they can be perfect. They can veer just on the side of sweet or just on the side of bitter. And actually, I prefer mine just on the side of bitter. I know that it's supposed to be that perfect balance, but I really like a cocktail that isn't cloying. Uh, I 100% agree. I mean, this has an aftertaste, but it isn't, um, it's not sickly the way that some cocktails can be. Yeah, I find a Negroni, if it's too sweet, it just starts to nudge into cough syrup territory a little yes. bit. And that's that's not so good. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I I'm not totally proud to say I dabbled with the non-alcoholic Negroni, oh. which is surely a sin. And it I had tasted no idea. like a sin. <laughs> It was what, cough syrup. <laughs> what, what's involved? Like, what, what would the ingredients be? So if you can believe it, there is a non-alcoholic vermouth. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, it is weird. And it's not, kind of bitter grape juice then? Not terrific. Correct. Yeah. Um, and non-alcoholic Campari as well. And then I, I don't know how familiar you are with this actually quite popular new phenomena of uh, like herbal non-alcoholic gin mm. and the makers are very clear that you can't think of it like a gin substitute because yeah. if you go in looking for the gin taste that's not what you're going to get yeah. but it is a very nuanced drink and it's a great alternative to an alcoholic drink uh, but that you need to sort of go in with an open mind and so I tried it I made it with the same ratio of ingredients um, but I think you just have to just yeah. have the drink. For me, I mean, for me. <laughs> was the was the non-alcoholic gin? Was it water based or vinegar based or? No, you know, I'll have to look up the ingredients, and there are a number of different kinds. I've tried two, um, and actually, they're pretty readily available here. Um, I didn't have to look too hard, but um, I think I think it's just infused water. Oh, okay. So just an herbal water then. Mm-hmm. Ah, spa water. That's healthy. See, healthy drinking. There we go. <laughs> I should really know more about it. I didn't love it, so we didn't keep it for that long. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so with Nano, what what have you found to be your favorite aspects of the program? You know, you've been involved for a number of years now. What are the things that really have stood out to you as either being valuable or what's really brought you a lot of joy? You know, and anything that just makes it special to you. Mm-hmm. So I talked a little bit about how I love that it um, is designed for truly everybody, everywhere, anyone of any writing background. This is not just for the MFA, the the grant winner, or you know the resident writer. That if you have a story to tell, or even if you don't, if you just want to see where it takes you, you know whether you plan in advance with this thing that you've sort of carried around with you for ages, or you're just being spontaneous. 
everybody is welcome and it makes for so much fun. Yeah. Um, it takes this sort of uh, seriousness of being a writer and, you know, it just opens it up to every possibility that anyone could ever think of. And I love that spirit so much that there really isn't um, a, a right way and a wrong way or rules that everything's just sort of thrown out the window and um, you end up having what sort of seems like a, a month-long literary lock-in. Like, everybody just comes as they are and, you know, see what kind of mischief you can get into. Um, random question. Um, this just dawned on me. I, I was thinking, because, you know, the idea that Nano is for everyone is, is such a great kind of uh, unifying idea. But I've always wondered, is it only in English language or is it is it set up in a way where anybody writing in any language can can participate exactly yeah perfect oh that's great yeah any anybody in any language because ultimately I mean kind of like the the brilliance and also the surprise of it is that nobody sees this nobody sees your 50,000 words nobody's checking it I mean yes there is a word count validator but truly it's just a way of you saying like, well, here's my novel. Like I wrote it so that you can get your digital badge. I mean, it's, it's kind of like running a marathon. Like nobody's going to know if you like cheat or whatever (laughs) you'll know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's truly any language. And in fact, um, when I was there, we were just getting started on site translation to make the website more accessible to people in other countries. Um, so that they could access the the resources. But in terms of just pen to paper or typing, whatever whatever language you want to write in, is that's up to you. Excellent. So you you mentioned one of the great things about Nano is that it's really kind of a no holds barred, you know, come at it with your own style and your own technique and, and what works for you. But what are some of the pitfalls or mistakes you've noticed writers make when they're trying to either approach nano or in the midst of it? So exactly what you said about sort of um, I'm doing it the right way. You know, what should I be doing? And, uh, and is there a right way to do it? I mean, um, I think so much of, of the beauty of it is actually getting to know yourself as a writer and what works for you. I mean, are you somebody who does well planning in advance and outlining, you know, and having sort of a, a seamless that you're going to hit. Um, are you somebody that writes in the morning or the evening? Do you write well alone or in a group? Do you like music? Do you not like music? Um, are you prone to writer's block or do you free write first? It's sort of, um, yeah, establishing your style. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way that you do it. And of course, there are pep talks and there are tons of tips on the website. But I almost think of those as ways of overcoming doubt or uh, that inner critic that it isn't saying like, well, this is how you should do it. Step one, sit down. Step two, um, you know, what have you. Um, that it's more don't listen to those doubts that have kept you from writing up until now because they will creep in even as you're writing. Uh, Keep going. Don't focus on quality. Don't be unrealistic about your finished product. Just get those ideas down on the page at, you know, at whatever cost, like dirty house, dirty kids, (laughs) (laughs) dirty pets. (laughs) 
how has uh, either working with Nano or participating yourself changed your own process? Oh gosh, that's such that's such a good question. Um, I am an editing maniac. I love it. I love structural edits. I love line edits. And it was really cool for me the first time I realized there could be a first draft that was so wildly imperfect that it really was a way to not just get down like rough ideas, but even writing things that won't end up in your story, but inform your story, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. writing outside of the bounds of, of your narrative, but about things that will inform you about your character, getting to know them deeply. And yeah. I think that when you're on a deadline like that, where you're like, whoa, what am I going to write today? You kind of go into these crazy places and you find at the end, oh, okay, like, I can shave all of this, but you know your story, you know your characters so well because you went there with them. Yeah, yeah, I that that's something that would be a big help for me. I I am definitely the edit as you go type. Um, okay. By the time I'm done with the first draft, the the mostly unedited chapters are draft three, and then there are you know other chapters are set draft seven, others are draft ten. So I, I could definitely use the the kick in the pants to just go forward <laughs> and get it done. Yeah, without like shame or yeah, any kind of self-editing, um, which I, to be totally honest, it was hard for me too. I very much had to curb that instinct of like getting the dialogue just so and like making it sound authentic on the first pass and yeah. stuff like that. So what would you say to somebody who is gearing up for NaNoWriMo, whether it's, you know, kind of the early stages of, of planning or the actual kind of prep right before November hits? What would be some of the recommendations you would have? Um, in addition to really drilling down into what works for them and, and really like honoring that about themselves you know know thyself <laughs> yeah. in terms of of what works for you and and have sort of your schedule ready for that let people know hey I'm gonna take this time in the morning I really need this amount of time and um I guess you call that setting yourself up for success just sort of uh getting things in place um but that also includes in terms of approaching your story whether you do want to lead with with the outline and and have that in place beforehand if that's sort of your guiding line through the month or if you're really going at it like let's just see what happens um, and to not go in and, and second guess yourself once you've started that however you want to do it is totally great um, and again there there aren't any rules just do what feels really good for you because it's hard enough to write every day or to write however you want to do it. If you only write on the weekends or if you write in a, like a huge burst and then take a couple days off in whatever way, getting to 50,000 words or however much you're going to write in a month looks like um, really just going for that in the way that feels best to you. Do you, do you find that plotters or pantsers one or the other tend to have a better go at NaNoWriMo or do you think it shakes out pretty evenly in the end 
That's a terrific, that's such a good question. And do you know, I don't think we ever put that on a survey. And oh, interesting. Okay. I'm so curious if they did after I left. I want to ask them because I would love to know. Yeah, if, I could. like self-described one or the other got to the finish line more frequently. I could see there being a case made for both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could definitely see how the strengths of one or the other would would lead the, you know, the, the pantsers, I, I tend to be a bit more of a pantser and just that ability to, you know, pull it out of your brain and go. I, I mm-hmm. think that that kind of streamlined aspect could be good. Although then you also have the paralysis of what you've pulled out of your head actually being worth putting on the page. Um, or but, writing yourself into corners. I mean, absolutely. that was my experience. Oh, God, when I, I, I tried it both ways and I just got so lost in the woods if I didn't have <laughs> that, that plan ahead of me. Yeah. I have some friends who are hardcore plotters, just everything dialed out, bullet points everywhere. And that also having that, that path, you're basically following a path at that point. I could see that being a huge, huge benefit, but I can't, I signpost, I call it where I, mm. I think of it as kind of like, you know, I had try to have a beginning and an ending and, you know, two or three twists and I'll write from one spot to the next and then decide if what's left still makes sense. And then if not, I can change course. But the idea of actually, you know, bullet point after bullet point after bullet point is terrifying. Huh. I would like to be able to do it, but I don't think that I actually <laughs> could pull it off. At least not pull it off so and enjoy it. I find so fascinating that every person you talk to has this sort of, I mean, for you, bullet points are terrifying. For me, not having that, to me, it feels like a safety net. Yeah. And it's so specific to yeah. the person. I mean, and that's true. That's why, like, I feel like there can't be any should because, mm-hmm. you know, if you try and do something the way somebody, I'm sure that there are vocations in this world. I'm sure surgery, yeah. for example, <laughs> yeah. you have to follow instructions. At least you know what they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, for, for writing, I do think, yeah, a bit. You just have to sort of figure out your own uh, Bible, your own methods. Yeah. Say it's November 12th and you meet up uh, with somebody who is just deep in the throes of nano. What sort of advice would you give them there? And and I would imagine anybody in the middle of NaNoWriMo on November 12th is going to be a bit frazzled, whether in a good way or a bad way. Yeah, so so what would you, what pep talk would you give them? So I feel like in the middle of nano, you're sort of in that place where you realize like, oh God, maybe this isn't so fun anymore. Or maybe I, you know, I had these really lofty goals, like I'm going to blow it out of the water. I'm going to write a hundred thousand words. Or I think there has to be a reckoning where you say, you know what? Everything I write is more than I would have otherwise. I'm still in it and I'm still working on this and maybe shucking some of those expectations you had in the beginning uh, is good. It's a good thing because it helps you keep going. Yeah. Um, maybe not in the way that you thought you were going to, but um, you know, you're still, you're still working at it. Um, and like I had said before, I think sometimes you do get, lost or mired or whatever way that you're approaching your novel, you just sort of are stuck. And that's when I think too, that um, 
checking in with the community can help, or you just come up with some t uh, tricks and tools of your own. One thing that I like to do is play the what if game with my character. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know my character well enough. And so um, I take the time to almost warm up writing by playing some sort of game where I write a what if scenario with my character. Um, and it, serves two purposes that I sort of get in their mindset and I sort of flesh out, you know, maybe a hypothetical situation, but I'm also just at the computer typing. Yeah. And that can be the hardest thing to do. You don't feel like it, you're tired, whatever. You've got a, you know, a deadline or a work something or other that you're thinking about, you're preoccupied. But if you can sort of trick yourself into writing, Every day, you'll keep going. You'll you'll be there. Oh, I'm already in my chair. I'm already typing. And then you sort of warm up and find your flow. Yeah. It seems kind of like uh, running. It's like, you know, you get kind of that midpoint. You got a cramp in your side. And you have, you know, how am I going to get to the end? How am I how am I going to make my body work so that I can finish? I could see that kind of a, a mental process similar to that. For, it's for, so know. true. I know. I love the, I love the um, exercise tips, you know, where they say, if you leave your clothes out and if you just put your shoes on, like you're already oh, yeah. that much closer. <laughs> and so if you're already typing something, even if it's kind of nothing, you're, you're there and it'll, it'll come. Yeah. But sometimes it's just shockingly easy to talk yourself out of something. Yeah. I, I heard, I can't remember where where I heard this, but so it may be complete BS, but <laughs> somewhere I heard that it, when it comes to creative tasks of really any kind, it's, there's typically a 20 minute warm up period for your brain before you finally settle in to kind of the flow of it. Okay. And I think about that a lot because I am not, writing's not an easy thing for me. Like I'm not one of those people who, you know, can sit down in the morning, crack my knuckles and get going. It's kind of a, a long slog over coffee, just trying to get the, the oomph together for it. But I have noticed that there is that point when I'm slid into it and it, and it finally starts to flow. Um, anyway, similar to running where you're, you know, all you want to do is, is pretend you have something in your shoe for the first few steps. Uh, right. I've really damaged my knee. <laughs> yeah. I, this, this is clearly not healthy. I should probably stop. <laughs> So how, how have you found that Nano has changed over the years, both for the program itself, but maybe also for how people approach it? Sure. Um, wow. In so, my gosh, so many ways. Um, it was so scrappy. I mean, so scrappy. And it has gotten so sophisticated. Like, and, and How many years has it been around now? So it was founded in 1999. Okay. Uh, so they celebrated, yeah, 20 years in 2019. Nice. Yeah, it's wild. Um, you know, I haven't participated in a while. I've always kept in touch with them and followed the programs, but I haven't written actually using the word count validator or using the new website that they've created um, but they have, so I don't know if you participated in the years when the site breaking was just part of the fun. <laughs> NaNoWriMo would start and the site would go down hard because so many people were hitting it. And it, you know, on the inside, it was really stressful, but it was also in a really weird way. Like it was kind of an honor. Like so many yeah. people wanted to come to the party. 
Um, and those days are gone. Yeah. No more site outages. I mean, it's like baby grew up. <laughs> yeah. But it's so cool to see something. And I wasn't even there in the very, very beginning. I mean, Chris Beatty was, you know, running this out of his apartment at one point and like printing T-shirts that lived on a bookshelf in his living room. And there's sort of like a legend to it of the early, early days and then sort of the middle where it was, you know, rough and fun. And and, uh, like I say, it was just um, still very much like a grassroots effort. And it's still, I mean, it's it's shocking how much they do with as small a staff as they have, but it um it's really beautiful also to see how how much they are doing on a nonprofit budget with yeah. I mean, they're still in the same office that they've been in since I guess it was twenty ten. Oh wow, okay. Um so yeah, they haven't grown massively. Um, but it's just by virtue of, you know, the march of time they've had to change. And there's a lot of efforts to make the website accessible and to make sure that the forums are incredibly inclusive and that there is no trace of any kind of discrimination and bullying. And all of these things are incredibly important to running this event because it has to be a safe space that is accessible to everyone. And so there's no like assuming that it's all okay. Um, Yeah. They're really on it. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really I could imagine that's a, that's a, that's a tricky situation because on the one hand you have this awesome thing that is just pulling writers out of the woodwork, but on the other hand, you're pulling writers out of the woodwork and I'm sure the mix can be, volatile at times <laughs> well, but yeah and everyone's i mean everyone's so passionate yeah, and and yeah. truly like people come from vastly different experiences to this to this party and um yeah it's i think just so much work making sure that everybody feels good yeah yeah well and that's important because if you don't feel good you're not going to participate right yeah yeah exactly um, but the resources just continue to be so excellent, so refined, and they get input from amazing authors and support from amazing people, both local out in San Francisco, which in and of itself is, you know, a very literary hub, but also yeah. internationally, uh, it continues to just attract terrific uh, backers, you know, people that no one knows, but also people that are really revered within the literary community. And, and so how do you, how do you see the approach the writers themselves have taken to Nano? How, how has that changed from the early days to now? Or is that basically been the same? I think, I you know, I could be totally wrong about this. I think that it has largely stayed the same, which is really, really cool. And it's interesting because I do know some hardcore long timers who truly have participated all these years. I mean, they, they knew about it early on and they've stuck with it. But the cool thing about it is that whether those people are there or not, there are always people coming to it. I mean, it's always changing. People maybe did it once and that was great, or maybe they do it two or three times, but it just kind of, it shifts and their return you know, participants and there are new people. And even though it's sort of a dynamic mass, (laughs) 
the spirit remains intact. Yeah. Um, and that is really great that it hasn't become, well, we talked about, you know, the way that, um, writing can feel so clubby and I don't think there is a day, there will ever be a day when it feels that way. This may be putting you on the spot. So I hope I'm not. So apologies, (laughs) but I, I was just curious, are there, um, can you give a couple examples of books that people might not know were born out of Nano? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they push these names and how well people know them, but um, Water for Elephants, I think. Is, oh, whoa, okay. It's one that a, a lot of people know maybe because of the movie or maybe because they read the book, but yeah, that uh, Sarah Gruen... Uh, has written many novels actually through Nano, and that was one of them. Um, there are a lot of YA authors. Um, I don't know if you know Cinder. I want to say really long time since it was. It's a. It's sort of a um, retelling of the Cinderella story, but I think it's kind of sci-fi. I think I think I've seen it. I haven't read it, but I, I think I've seen it before. And then, do you know the author Hugh Howey? Yes. Howell was his book that he wrote. Oh, okay. With Nano. Um, What else? There have been so many now, like hundreds, that have, you know, gone on to be pretty, I think, pretty well known. Um, They maintain a list on the website. Those were big ones when I was there. And I'm trying to think if there are other ones that people might. Oh, um, Aaron Morgenstern, Night Circus. No way, really. I love that book. That was so good. Yeah, such a beautiful book. And she's written another. I don't know if her second was through Nano or not, but she has remained um, a wonderful supporter of the program. Nice. Um, So I think it's less putting me on the spot and more that I just have really bad memory at 930 at night. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great. I mean, those those are some excellent examples. I think it's always good for people to see, you know, if you're going to jump into a program, it's nice to kind of have those uh, goalposts out there that you've, you know, it's like, well, if that book came out of this, then I, then I, you know, I'm excited to see what I could do with it. It's so, so true. I mean, and these are people who truly run the spectrum of they, you know, they had never done it before and this was a result, or maybe they'd done it a bunch of times and then finally one of their novels hit pay dirt. It runs the gamut. Yeah. Okay, let's jump back to our cocktail for a second. Okay, I still have some left. (laughs) Ooh, me too. (laughs) Um, So why did you pick this drink? Will be the first question. Mm -hmm. And then I'll I'll, I'll just go in order. So why why did you pick this drink? Well, I feel like um, favorite cocktails have kind of gone through phases of my life. And before I moved to Switzerland, it was very much the Manhattan. Yeah. Loved a Manhattan. Bourbon Um, or rye? Oh, bourbon. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I was I was a bourbon person. Now I've been a rye convert, but okay. every once in a while I slide back. Yeah. I mean, that is not to say I don't enjoy a rye uh, Manhattan, but given my druthers, I'd go bourbon. Well, but I, I love bourbon. I have no I have no preference or hold one over the other. I always just like to ask that question. It's I'm always curious. What's your What's your go to bourbon when you have when you have one? I really like Elijah Craig. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like your middle of the road. It's it's nice, but not too nice. 
Yeah. Easy drinking. I can just have it on its own. I feel like that level's perfect for a Manhattan. Because if you're getting much fancier than that, it's hard to, like, mix what you want to mix. But I feel like when you get the really nice stuff, it's like, just drink it. Yeah, just have it. It doesn't need any mixer. Yeah, and on the on the flip side, isn't the original Manhattan um, whiskey? Isn't it like Canada Canadian Goose? What is it? Uh, I could imagine. Yeah. I mean, I've had like the what it's supposed to be. I hate supposed to, but yeah. oh, really rotten. <laughs> Not yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, I used to know. I can't remember. I th- I think you're right though. I think it was a Canadian of some sort. Yeah. So, but in this phase of my life, um, I I do really enjoy the Negroni, and maybe I don't know where this came from. I mean, in Switzerland, I don't know if this is your feeling, but my feeling is some of the best food you can get here is Italian food. We yes. eat a lot of Italian food, and we've gone to Italy a lot. Um, and so I think just by virtue of sort of eating more of that cuisine and, and knowing more about the culture, maybe I've gravitated more towards their their wines and their cocktails. We drink a lot of Italian wine, um, and it's something I'll really miss when we go back because it's really fun sharing a border with that amazing country. I mean, yeah. I've missed yeah. going there this past year. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I'm I'm from Washington State, and and Switzerland's about twenty percent the size of Washington, and so it's just it's such it still messes with my head that what used to be driving through two counties is now driving through three versions of Swiss German, and you know <laughs> into a completely different country. It, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's so, so true. I know Metro Atlanta is 5 million people, so, oh uh, you know, it's, so it's about, you know, two-thirds the size of the whole country. But. Okay, so what is the right mood? What's the setting for this drink? So if someone's never had a Negroni before and they wanted to serve it at a party, you know, is this what you would serve um, at a backyard barbecue? Is it something you would serve at a nice dinner? Would you serve it at both? When okay. when would you choose? Well, so I have heard, and maybe this isn't true, but I've heard that a Negroni is meant to be an after-dinner drink. I would not drink this after dinner. Uh, I always have it before my pizza. This is mm. like my, my hooray, it's Friday, made it through another week. We're going to have a great homemade pizza night. Um, I'm not much of a cocktails after dinner person anyway uh but i i don't think i would ever have a negroni after dinner and so for me my my concept of the cocktail is come over you know pick your toppings let's roll out our crusts and have a good time super informal yeah um not at all stuffy but strong yeah yeah (laughs) shucking off the week you know just Mm -hmm. loosening up and uh having a good time um but yeah if i and i used to if i'm gonna have a drink after dinner it would just be a a bourbon neat yeah yeah i i really like the negroni for its versatility i mean it's it's complex enough and bitey enough that if you did want to get fancy with it no one would bat an eye but if you're in some shorts on your patio, it totally works too. So true. It really can adapt to either. Speaking of which, have you ever had a white Negroni? 
Oh, yeah. With is it with white port? Am I remembering that right? What is it with? There's a few different types. The best version I have had, and I'm trying to let me see if I can remember the. So it's still the one 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 ratio. Um, it's so still gin, and then there is. Uh, an Italian liqueur called either Bianco Sarti, or oh. there's another version, I think it's Luxardo does it, it's called Bitter Bianco. Okay. And that subs for the Campari. And I'm then, writing this down. Yeah. I want this. Um, and then the vermouth is Cocchi Americano. Okay. Um, and that that's the best version I have had. Mm. And it's it's like a Negroni, but I feel like if it's above 80 degrees you know, 30 Celsius, it, a Negroni is a bit heavy. Yeah. But, but this one, you can, you can go all the way. I mean, it's hey. you, walking through the desert, someone hands you one. Perfect. Really refreshing. Really refreshing. Okay. Um, I've, I've seen, so rather than the Bianco Sarti, I've used Sue's before uh-huh. and that works, but it's a bit too bitter. And then it, it's more of a yellow Negroni than a white Negroni at that point. But um, <laughs> okay. And then you know I've used uh, Nuali Pratt and some other other you know dry vermouths as well. And those work. Oh, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to make it, but that specific ingredient combination seems to have been the one that's worked out the best for me. So I'm gonna have to reference. We um, got Death and Co. The cocktail book. Do you have this? I don't. I've been meaning to pick it up. It's so much fun. Oh, it's so it's like reading, you know, something you could just sit down on the couch with and read. Um, but I'm going to have to look this up in that book because I bet they have something in there about it. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Highly recommend the book, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm slowly, slowly collecting cocktail books. Um, I tend to be more of a collector of them than a user. I, I really like I have a pretty decent liquor cabinet and so i like to just go mad scientist with it and and come up with stuff so i tend not to dip into the books nearly as much as i should okay but i have them and so i I definitely i need that and there's um a book called imbibe i know that everyone talks a lot about that i'm trying to pick up as well okay Uh, but yeah i will that one's been on my list for a while so can i ask you i hope i'm not putting you on the spot oh how do you feel about tonic as sort of this goes with everything mixer depends on the tonic ah okay very good so something like um fever tree Uh uh-huh i feel does a better job of going with most things Uh um what's the what's the big brand of it why am i forgetting this schweppes schweppes or... i feel like schweppes makes a great gin and tonic especially uh-huh. it, when you just want a gin and tonic but it's a bit bitter uh, okay like, i feel like it's a tonics tonic in a way and so it does it it cuts a little too much with certain things yeah like i, I would do fever tree for a vodka tonic but i'm not sure i would use schweppes okay um just because I feel like you need that gin combination with the Schweppes to, but that's that's for my own tastes. Um, we have gotten really into something that I, when I first heard about it, I thought that's gross, no way. But <laughs> uh, on Taco Night we have tequila tonic with a ton of lime, Ooh. and it's really good. <laughs> oh, I bet that would be actually as sort of an alternative to the margarita. Because yeah. you get the sweetness from the tonic water, and but you can still really the um, 
tequila isn't shouted out. Yeah. What, what's your go-to tequila here in Switzerland? I know it's a little bit hard to find a good variety. Yeah. So we've gone, we're into the, the Jose Cuervo. It's yeah. not Jose Cuervo. No, it's not. What is it? <laughs> is it Jose Cuervo? Oh, gosh. I have the bottle in our cabinet. We get it off Galaxis of all places oh, because okay. it's a really good deal. Nice. But it's a reposado and it's delicious. Nice. Yeah, I, I we, we brought some home from the States last time we, we went home, but that's been a while. So <laughs> we're running low and he did need to look for a new version. Well, good tequila. I mean, good tequila is really hard to find here, even like decent tequila. The stuff that they sell in the supermarket with the sombrero is the cap. Oh, I've seen that one. That scares me. It's deadly. Yeah, I would imagine. You like, will have like an insta hangover. <laughs> is it deadly in like, this is surprisingly easy to drink, but it's garbage, so it wrecks you? Or is it deadly in that you put it in your mouth and you instantly regret it? And you know you're in trouble. Exactly. Yeah, okay. It is yeah. not delicious and it wrecks you immediately. I'm always fascinated with with liquor, how there are certain things like bourbon, where even a bad bourbon's passable. Like, you can drink it, but a bad tequila or a bad gin, oh, it's just Don't impossible. do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are in early days of uh, prepping for the coronavirus. There was still some misinformation that it was good to have vodka on hand just in case and so we got some like oh, truly truly like nuclear. worst you've ever heard of <laughs> like you probably never heard of it before and i think it's gonna sit in the cabinet until the end of times because yeah. nobody would dare touch it <laughs> unless you have a gash on your leg <laughs> you know what you could do use use it for homemade vanilla oh there you go I've I've been making that for a few years now, and it's just find some rock gut vodka, throw a bunch of vanilla beans in it, let it sit for a month or two. Makes a great gift. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Gets a little kick to your cookies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Nano for a second. We we talked a little bit about prep. We talked a little bit about being in the throes of NaNoWriMo. What would you say are the kind of the the best next steps for someone who's done it's okay. december 1st you have this thing that you've created or a thing that you're in the process of creating what do you do with it what what's what what's the next logical course of action so for me that's a multi-part and you can't have one without the other okay. uh, the first and here i am being like don't follow rules burr, burr, burr. here i have rules mm -hmm. <laughs> One is celebrate. Mm. Just step away. Take some time to say, I did it and I'm done. Um, but your story needs to rest and you need to rest. Like you've done a crazy thing for a whole month and I'm sure that there's a really long list of stuff that you've neglected. Give yourself time to do it and just put it aside. Put the story aside. Maybe even for the whole month. December is a crazy month. Uh, you know, end yeah. of year is always hectic. And uh, for a lot of people, it means, you know, celebrating one holiday or another and being with family. We hope we return to that tradition soon. And <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's totally acceptable to pick it back up in the new year. And then the second part of that is that before you go sharing it around, yes, you can be proud of it, but you must edit it. <laughs> yeah. I am 
shocked and appalled by how many people are like, well, I wrote a book and I'm just going to go ahead and send it on out. <laughs> yeah. Nobody will thank you for that because yeah. it's going to be rough. Uh, my first year ever of NaNo, I gave my family, I think, the first three chapters because I was so very proud of this book I had written. And they were so sweet about it. But they were like, do you know that your main character's name changes a number of times throughout the <laughs> chapters? <laughs> and that's probably the best of it. Um, yeah. So it is really important to uh, return and do, I would say, many, many, many passes. Yeah. Um, I think editing, like writing, is different for everyone I do think that there is some wisdom to the way you approach it if you're interested in efficiency and efficacy things like you want to do the structural edits first don't do the nitty-gritty editing before everything's in its right place because it's all going to change anyway Um, but I also think that a lot of figuring those things out happen with doing it Mm -hmm. that you may not know, I mean, you can't know what you don't know. And so it takes sort of going into it and feeling it out and figuring it out what works for you or making those mistakes and realizing you wasted a whole lot of time, you know, drilling into this one part that you ended up taking out anyway. So, but the, in a nutshell, it's just that um, I think a lot of people assume or forget how much love it still needs mm-hmm. before it really sees the light of day and other people's, you know, yeah. inboxes. Yeah. It, it again, I, I always forget where I hear these nuggets, but uh, somewhere someone had mentioned that it's it, it. No matter how good you think your first draft is, it's crap compared to what you can make it. Yeah. So oh, even if you're yeah. the best writer in the world, the best writer in the world's first draft is not as good as their last draft. Mm-hmm. And so there's always that room for improvement and never, you know, never assume that it's, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of get into the, the, the maybe more like musical improv or, or visual art mentality where it's just like, I have made this, it is my creation, there it is. It's like, yeah, but writing's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. And you're not somehow forsaking yourself by just cleaning yeah. it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's Paul, you're 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 varnishing. You're varnishing your painting, right? Like Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to me too, because I do think that there is a point at which you can over edit um, yes. and yeah. overthink that it's almost like you hit this like apex of refinement and then you just start um over over worrying it. Yeah, I always try to tell myself it's once things stop feeling better and they just start feeling different, mm. like that's when someone else needs to look at it. I, I've done as much as I can for the moment. Someone else needs to kind of push me in a new direction. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There is no improvement. It's only changes. Yeah. It's like <laughs> now, now the character does this. I don't know why he's doing that now, but that's what he's doing. So here we go. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, it's last call here in the indie pub. Can you give us an indie published book or two or three or four that you think more people need to check out? Yeah, so uh, my not at all dirty secret is that I love, love, love detective fiction and um, thrillers and and crime series, the more the better. Um, And our mutual friend, 
Jill Pruitt, who mm-hmm. publishes as J.J. Marsh. Her Beatrice Stubb series is um, so delightful. It's so wonderful. And there are so many of them. And she is a genius of self-publishing. So that is my wholehearted recommendation for self-pubbed lit. Well, and she's, yeah, I mean, the the backlog of that series, I mean, if someone wanted to dive deep into a series, there's a, a big chunk of literature there for them there, right? Because I yeah. want to say, is it is it 10 books already almost? Or is it even more? I think it's more than that. Yeah. I just got really excited because I don't know if you're familiar with Louise Penny. She writes the Inspector Gamache novels set in Quebec. I'm not. Oh, God, I love them so <laughs> dearly. I love them. They got me through my second pregnancy. But um, I just found out that in August, her 17th is coming out. Oh, nice. And so I don't know if I'm transposing her, the longevity of her series over uh, the Beatrice Stubbs, but I do think it's more than 10. I mean, there are a lot. Now, do those are those more on the thriller end, or is it kind of more of the Poirot exactly. episodic? Gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah. Not, I mean, not a cozy, but not not the type of. Um, I mean, I've read some series where they're just kind of like gross. Yeah. They're not like interesting. They're just terrible, terrible like people doing te- yeah, doing yeah. terrible things. But this is just. It is satisfying on so many different levels. Okay, and then so same question, but for any other media, whether it's indie or not. Okay, so I went way outside. Well, that's not true. I didn't go way outside of books. My first recommendation is uh, music. Okay. Um, It is for a band called Make No Bones. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's available on iTunes and Spotify. And um, I happen to know the artist, one of the um, artists, the songwriter and singer. And um, I mean, just incredibly prolific and prolific in a way that I think could speak to NaNoWriMo enthusiasts. He has put out an album a year for, I think, five, maybe seven years now. And I think when you hear the music, you'll see that it is very much reflective of what's happening in his life at the time. Um, he came to Europe many times, uh, and it's it's in the music. I mean, he spent a lot of time in Ireland, and so it's almost like uh, music as memoir. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, but it is very much story based, and the lyrics are incredible. It, and what so genre? Fun. Uh, I would say folk, folk rock. Gotcha. Yeah, he did. He still does. Well, with COVID, not so much. Busking, a lot of busking. And so you really get that vibe of of, um, that it is a lot about the vocals and a guy on his guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the other two are very much literary recommendations. Um, I have gone deep into PBS programming. Okay. Um, for the uninitiated, that is um, public broadcasting station. <laughs> oh yeah, I grew and, up, I grew up a Nova junkie, so I, I. Oh man, they have so much good stuff. But two of my favorite memoirs from my youth have become television shows, and one is based on Gerald Durrell's My Family and Other Animals, and it's called The Durrells. Hmm. And I think there were four seasons made. Okay. Um, and then more recently, it's still ongoing, is uh, All Creatures Great and Small, based on James Harriet's three-part memoir series about being uh, a veterinarian. Okay. And both are f- 
fantastic and it is just the kind of programming I've needed to like heal my withered soul this year. <laughs> I mean, it's just so wholesome and funny and lovely and armchair uh, tourism and I highly recommend particularly if you read the books. Are they, is it Masterpiece Theater or is it just PBS's own series? Uh, they are, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah. So, but yeah, those are my recs and I really hope uh, that whoever is listening might check one or all of them out because yeah. I um, I have delighted in all of them. Okay, finally, tell our listeners what you have going on right now and where they can find you and your work. Sure. So um, I had the, the great good luck of uh, re-teaming with NaNoWriMo on my upcoming book, Ready, Set, Memoir. They are offering a memoir thread in Camp NaNoWriMo this year for those memoirists who have been participating in the novel writing challenge, but as nonfiction writers. And so I wrote a workbook in the style of Ready, Set, Novel, which was a NaNoWriMo workbook. And it comes out in May and it will be available pretty much wherever books are sold. Um, And so are my other books. I was really happy to find on Powell's the indie champ, but also online for these COVID times, that Ready, Set, Novel is also available there, as is Sleeps with Dogs. Um, Because in in a lot of brick and mortars, it's kind of hit or miss. Surely they can special order them, but anyway, they are are on Powell's. And, you know, I'm not much of a social media person, but um, Lindsey Grant Books Dot com is the website where you can find out if I'm doing anything <laughs> literary. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Indie Pub. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a like and subscribe so you won't miss any of our indie investigations or boozy banter. I've been your host, Jay Rushing, and we'll see you back in the pub next time. <laughs>